Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I am so excited about our guest today, Dr. Beth Marchitelli, who received her degree from Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine in 2001. Shortly after graduating from veterinary school, she practiced small animal medicine in Huntington, New York for 10 years. She currently practices small animal medicine with a focus in veterinary hospice and palliative care in Asheville, North Carolina, and has done so for the past six years. She is currently pursuing a Master of Science in Palliative Care in Human Medicine in a really awesome program, might I add, to advance her knowledge and training in the areas of veterinary hospice, palliative care, and euthanasia. She is especially interested in providing high-quality, compassionate care for pets during the end of their lives, as well as the families who care for them. When she's not caring for the pets or their families, she enjoys yoga and mountain biking with her husband and two dogs in beautiful western North Carolina. So Dr. Marchitelli, welcome. We're so excited you're here. Hey, Dr. McPherson. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh my gosh, super excited. So I know I've read your formal bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe how you and I met, how we came to be colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I believe we met at the, um, one of the AHPM annual meetings. I'm not sure mm-hmm. which one um, mm-hmm. because um, I have been for the last several years um, trying to, you know, glean some knowledge from human medicine in ways that I can apply to veterinary medicine um, by seeing what you folks are doing in human hospice and palliative care. And I went to the um, AHPM's annual assembly, and um, I heard one of your amazing lectures, and I'm sure I had questions. And, oh, thank you. Um, then you told, told me about the master's program, and I was immediately intrigued and excited to, to look into that. Now, I thought you and I met online when you were searching for a better medication to use for euthanasia oh, because midazolam uh, causes people yeah. to jump when they get it, yeah. and dogs and cats too. I forgot. Yes, yeah, so but we I did that. They're both true, I think, right? I think so. I think that's yeah. when I first met you. But I had yeah. asked you, yes, online, because a colleague had suggested I ask you and that you were great, and of course. Oh, it's a small world, huh? Yes, it really Goodness. is. This is a human hospice doc here who, who had kept telling me to ask you. Oh, so, there you yep. go. So small yeah. world regardless. So how did you end up doing what you do for pets in palliative care? Tell me about that. How did you even get into that? Um, well, it's, I'm sure it's the same for many people, um, maybe how they end up in the niche that they end up in, but it was by accident. Um, I had been practicing, you know, for 10 years um, and, and enjoyed what I was doing, um, but a veterinary colleague of mine suggested, why don't we start a home euthanasia practice? Uh-huh. Um, and I thought, oh, that'd be great, you know, to, to help animals be able to be at home and have the peaceful and loving surroundings of their families um, for their for their final moments. and. Um, we went to a couple of meetings, veterinary meetings. Um, there's mm-hmm. an international association for veterinary hospice and palliative care, um, and they started talking more and more about hospice and palliative care. And I thought, oh, well, we should add those services as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And initially, it was more we used the term hospice a lot more, and now mm-hmm. since things have kind of expanded and changed, we're, we're, most folks will say hospice and palliative care. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So do you yeah. refer to hospice as like likely within the last six months, the same as we do with humans? Well, I mean, it, I'm sure it kind of depends who you talk to, and I think the terminology is, is ever-changing um, in veterinary medicine, for sure. 
Um, mm-hmm. I sort of use them interchangeably to mm-hmm. some extent um, because it's very difficult sometimes to have a definitive di- Sometimes we don't even have a definitive diagnosis, but we know mm-hmm. the pet doesn't have long. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say if it's going to be six months to say these, these pets are hospice and these pets mm-hmm. are, that are in hospice are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of use them interchangeably, but you could say that those pets that we think have less time would be hospice patients mm-hmm. and then those who were really, we really have no idea what their prognosis mm-hmm. is could be palliative care, but um, I, I use them interchangeably um, for, for better or for worse. Okay. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about exactly what do you do? So, I mean, certainly I think we all know what euthanasia is, but what do you do as a palliative care um, veterinarian? And then just tell us a little bit about what you do and what special skills you bring to the table, maybe perhaps versus a general veterinarian. Sure, sure. Um, And I think that the master's program has really helped me hone these skills tremendously Mm -hmm. um, and it has really benefited me. Um, So just put a plug in there for that. Well, thank Um, you. But yeah, absolutely. Um, But, um, you know, uh, basically we provide um, for first-time clients and either a dog or a cat, um, we we offer a palliative care um, or hospice assessment and um, what, what kind of distinguishes us from general practitioners is one, um, for our service and the services um, we provide at Four Paws Farewell, which is um, the, the, my practice, um, we, everything's done at home. Um, so that's the first difference that everything's done at home. And the, mm-hmm. um, for the palliative care assessment, you know, it, it's at least an hour. Um, so we have mm-hmm. a little bit more time than you would in the general, um, in, the, in the office. Um, and it is, we really do try and be as comprehensive as possible. So very similar, I'm sure, to the philosophy and tenets of human hospice. You know, we're treating the pet and the family for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, for a palliative care assessment, um, we would do much of the same things I'm sure that you all would do, would be, you know, to get a his- medical history um, and, um, and what medications the, the pet is on. And we do talk about goals of care because um, obviously that's really important for pets mm-hmm. um, as well as for people to make sure everyone's on the same page. What what do they want for, what is the most important thing for this family and this pet for, for these final days or months or weeks that we have together? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, um, really where our specialty lies is um, w- one would be, um, you know, palliative care, meaning comfort care, so whether that be mm-hmm. in the form of multimodal pain medic- medication or um, environmental management, um, um, emotional or cognitive management for the pet, um, mm-hmm. making, sure we're, making sure that they're you know, not excessively anxious with the disease that they're struggling with or increased age. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, we try and be as global as possible in our assessment for the pet. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also the family, because if the family you know, is, is, a, is a retired um, mama who's there 24 hours a day, um, you know, all the time with the pet, or someone who's working and um, mm-hmm. has some limitations, and that obviously we take that in consideration. Um, so we're, I think our expertise lies in, like I said, in really um, we have expertise in pain management for, for, for obvious reasons and, and comfort care and what things are mm-hmm. going to, can we do in the environment to make this pet as comfortable as possible? Um, and then, you know, what things to watch for? What does the family um, need to kind of be on the lookout? What might be um, signs of, of decreasing quality of overall quality of life as this pet progresses with this particular illness? Sure. And we do do a quality of life assessment um, at that visit, so we kind of have a baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we provide them with resources, um, 
you know, both community resources um, as well as some online resources on uh, making sure they get that social support um, that they'll need. Um, there's uh, some in, uh, interest now, and um, I, don't, I might have mentioned this to you earlier, but for caregiver burden for actually people, uh, pet owners dealing with critically ill pets. Um, mm -hmm. So there's some studies out now, which is really fascinating. Um, so um, we provide that website to people as well, just so wow. they can know that it's it's a real thing and it's really stressful it is a real and thing. hard. Yeah, you know, non-pet yeah. owners don't get that though a lot of time. I think. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, and they're wrong, aren't they? There you go. Well, yeah, you know, I know absolutely. that you and I have spoken at length about my little poodle, Gucci, who's 17 yeah. years old and blind and deaf and got diabetes and probably dementia. And I know the biggest, uh, Dr. Marchitelli and I don't live near each other. She would be my vet. Um, I'm always asking our veterinarian, do you think he's suffering? And that's got yeah. to be one of the biggest questions that you must answer absolutely. for families. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and so I think, hard. Um, it is so hard. And I think something that I actually learned from human medicine, um, whether it was one of the videos that we watched or I picked up somewhere else, um, is really trying to put the, put the focus from the pet's perspective. So to say to the family, you know, if Gucci, for example, could talk to us right now, what would he say about his life and how, how yeah, he's experienced that's a good one. moments? Yeah, yeah, it's really brilliant and, I, and it's been really helpful to use. But Obviously, they yeah. can't talk, so it does make things um, challenging for sure. Yeah, but you do worry about that. I mean, I, I certainly think he's happy as a clam, even though it's hard for me to watch him walk into yeah. walls and stuff. But he's a happy boy, yeah. but I'm yeah. very attentive to that. And thank you for your guidance Ab with Gucci. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how has the community reacted to what you offer? How do people even know you're out there? Well, um, I've probably mentioned this to you before, but in the last 10 years, there's really been um, exponential growth in the area of mobile um, home euthanasia and hospice and palliative care services. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not so much in um, the clinic setting, um, mm -hmm. but there's more and more. So the word is getting out there slowly. And mm -hmm. then um, for, for us, we've been here for almost seven years, so a lot of it's word of mouth. But initially, um, I, I kind of reached out to the regular veterinary hospitals in the community, and I did a couple mm -hmm. lectures. Um, and then um, as I would see patients and send them reports, you know, obviously then they would become, became familiar with our service. So we did a little bit of advertising, um, but not much. And um, Asheville is, a, if you've ever been here, it's very, very pet friendly. Um, it's mm -hmm. probably one of the most pet crazy places I've ever lived. Um, mm -hmm. There's a dog bowl outside every uh, store, um, anywhere you walk in town. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, um, you know, there's local, uh, like regional little um, kind of share chat groups or, you know, websites that um, have, mm -hmm. have passed on our information. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of it is word of mouth. It's through the veterinary clinics, um, through some of the specialty hospitals. So it's kind of kind of just works like that in a community. Mm -hmm. Well, that's yeah. great. That's good news, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's been really, really great. And I did a couple of, um, like, um, uh, interviews with uh, some local papers and that sort of thing. But that's mainly great. I think it's been really word of mouth. 
That's wonderful. I think yeah. I've shared with you that uh, we had gone to see our vet recently with Gooch, and it was, it's a huge practice. It was a vet we had never met before, and I asked uh-huh. my famous, do you think he's suffering question? And the first thing she said, my husband and I had to laugh, despite the seriousness of the tone, she said, have you ever heard of something called palliative care? I was like, why, yes, no. I have. <laughs> and so, you know, my personal impression is I think – uh, veterinarians are more in tune to this than a lot of human practitioners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why yeah. is yeah, that? Do you think that's shameful? Don't you think? Yeah. Um, well, for I the think, humans, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I I do think that um, we're you know as in veterinary medicine we're kind of informally practicing palliative care even though it's not named um, mm-hmm. all along to a certain. It might not be called that, but. Um, there's usually, you know, going to be that critical point where they, you know, when you enter into a relationship with a veterinarian where you're not actually calling it palliative care, but there's going to be mm-hmm. some critical point where either you don't want to put your pet through any more tests, um, and there, and so then you're you're kind of even entering into a palliative care um, relationship at that point, but it's not really named as such. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that we practice it, although. Um, not not all not everyone's philosophy is in alignment with that. I mean, some people are are all about either everything or they don't really offer you much um, mm-hmm. in terms of comfort care. But I I think it's just kind of um, unspoken and kind of interwoven into mm-hmm. um, much of veterinary practice because um, you know we're not necessarily going to have a definitive diagnosis for everything. For example, mm-hmm. so um, there's there's some limitations that are going to come into play, whether that be financial or emotional, sure. physical for the pet. Um, Absolutely, and it just kind of calls it. So you have to kind of yeah. make make sure you can provide something at that point. Yeah, and I think that it has evolved over the past decade or so, and yes. really gained some momentum. Absolutely. I remember about 10 years ago, we had a West Island White Terrier, and she was about 12, and all of a sudden, she started showing some neurologic um, deficits, pretty significant deficits. Uh-huh. So we took her to the emergency vet place, you know, the, the one where you walk in and they say, which credit mm-hmm. card do you want to put 1000 yeah. on as a deposit? Yeah, yeah that one. Right. And right. Uh, they kept her overnight, and the vet called me in the morning and said, well, I think she has a brain tumor, and I think we should get an MRI. It would be about $2,000. And I said, well, what are you going to do if it does show a brain tumor? She's 12 years old. That's, you know, pretty much the outer, that's about the yeah. lifespan of a Westie. I said, are you really going to crack her skull and do surgery? And he kind of mocked right. me and said, of course not. What's wrong with you? I said, well, then why would we put her through the MRI? And he said, you right. just don't want to pay the money. I was like, oh, dude, you do not want to know oh what I have God. spent on my dogs. Right. So I said, no, it's not that. So I could actually hear his hands on his hips when he said, well, then yeah. what do you suggest we do? I said, I suggest you're going to give me a prescription for Decadron for my dog so my daughter can get through her exam and say goodbye to her dog and if you won't do it I'll call one of 50 doctors I have on speed dial so he did it grudgingly right, and right. that's exactly right. what happened but I was kind of surprised yeah. by that um, response yeah thankfully yeah. I think that's kind of fading out a little bit <clears throat> I think it is I think it is too I think folk, I think things have changed and people um, some folks need an answer but um, you know at least a lot of times at, at, you know it's um, in terms of diagnostics, more along the philosophy of if this isn't going to change what we're going to do, right. but it, if you right. want to do it, fine. You know. Yeah, we need more of that conversation um, in taking care of people, don't we? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I I was thinking too. I don't know if if um, human docs are um, hesitant to to bring things up like that because they don't want to offend people or mm-hmm. um, they're afraid of people's emotional reaction that they're suggesting something that isn't 
you know, a cure for their particular mm-hmm. disease. I don't know if they, they tread lightly on that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of our hospice and palliative care doctors get pushback from attendings in the community who are not hospice and palliative care people, oh, where they okay. may want to order more and more tests. And one of oh, our okay. hospice and palliative care doctors would say something like, well, what is that really going to do to change the situation? Are we really going to alter right. what we're doing right. based right. on this $2,000 test? So some, right. they have right. that gentle, kind conversation frequently, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you still have a regular vet practice, or are you 100% now in this palliative care practice? We've only, uh, it's for the, it, the, the whole practice is, um, for the last seven years, it's just wow. in palliative care. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever yeah. have people in the community say, are you serious, you're going through all this for a cat or a dog? Does anybody ever um, question, like, Really? You know, I think I, I'm not going to give a very representative answer because Asheville is pet crazy. Um, Good. And all the folks that come to us um, are are on board. So mm-hmm. honestly, no. Um, people, yeah, that's great. Most people are saying, you know, we didn't know this existed. We're so happy that this is available for us. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a big factor, I think, is just, you know, even – um, for dogs or cats that are, it's really hard for them to travel because they're older. So for them not to have to take their pet in the car mm-hmm. um, is, is really, really um, helpful. But no, I haven't. I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> well, then that, poke them in the eye for me if you do find one, okay? Yeah. Because that's sure just crazy pants. Uh, Those are our babies, okay. our little babies. I know. They are. So they you are. mentioned there's an International Association of Palliative Veterinarians. We have a U.S. one also. Uh, you know, no, no, I think they, it is, it's in, it's based in the U.S. I think they just wanted to call it Get more membership. So it that's open. great. Yeah. But, uh-huh. um, that's but that's wonderful. really the main organization. And they uh-huh. also offer a certificate program uh-huh. for veterinarians. That's um, great. To become certified, yeah. Yeah. In veterinary hospice and palliative care. Yeah. yeah. We have, a, I've great. seen many times, an offer for pharmacists to get a certificate in veterinary pharmacy. So uh-huh. uh, that's a growing field. So I know yeah. from watching you in our master's program over the past two years that the whole class has learned so much from you. Like you have huh? been very open in sharing like instruments on how do you assess pain in a cat or a dog. So what have you gotten from this? I know that we have certainly been very open to you applying each um, assignment or discussion question to a pet instead of a human. So mm-hmm. has this helped mm-hmm. your practice and informed it in any way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in many different ways, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly some of the communication stuff um, has been the communication um, information is really helpful. The um, I don't know if it was, uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, where you draw the boxes for the decisions. Mm-hmm. Square. All right. Uh-huh. Um, so, so those sorts of things have been really directly applicable. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, in terms of the the medicine medicine portion, um, you know, it's really um, not only am I able to learn what's happening in human medicine, but then it's forced me to search the veterinary literature and for things that I would have told you I knew everything about. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing new to learn. You know, and, and I've been surprised every time because uh-huh. there's, there's always a little pearl of something that for a disease that I thought I knew about something's changed or some little tip for comfort. Sure. Um, you know, so so those things have been huge. Um, just having the the community support, um, you know, of all of my classmates who have been wonderful and shared their experiences. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pushed me um, in skill sets that I didn't, 
haven't used in a while, like annotated mm-hmm. bibliographies, if ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is great, and to and to really um, be able to evaluate things critically. So it's helped me in my day-to-day, in, for educational purposes, it's helped me in my day-to-day practice. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's really, really been very useful. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that whole process of discovery is true of all practitioners, not just veterinary medicine, but human medicine and all kinds of specialties. And whether it's our master's program or a different kind of uh, continuing professional development, is you know, I'm yeah. a big fan of lifelong learning and always continuing to push yourself because yeah. just when you think you yeah. know it all, you find out no, not so much. <laughs> no, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And yep, and I definitely would not have had the discipline or commitment to do this on my own, obviously. So it's been really good to have to know that I have to, you know, I have these assignments and the homework that I have to do and I have to push myself to, um, you know, find out what I can. Um, So I've definitely been able to um, have some medical paroles, some, you know, environmental um, paroles, and in addition to all the other skills that I've been able to use. That's um, great. Which is wonderful, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that you've been busy writing papers and chapters. You want to tell us about that? And the book that you're going to be writing, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, so the I just wrote a chapter. The, the book that's going to be coming out is um, it's in Veterinary Clinics of North America, um, mm-hmm. and I wrote a book about book. I wrote a chapter about euthanasia, um, objective, objective exploration of euthanasia um, and mm-hmm. adverse events, um, and that'll be coming out, I think, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I'm working on—I'm not quite sure of the details—but I'm working on another um, uh, volume that is going to be coming out um, in the following year um, in veterinary clinics. Um, this p- volume that's coming out is um, on veterinary uh, hospice and palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about some of the programs that have been um, tried at several institutions, mm-hmm. um, veterinary universities, and then the next um, chapter will be solely focused on euthanasia. Um, That's wonderful. We do, we do have a lot of euthanasia, so yeah. Well, and I know you worked very hard to um, understand best practices and best medication combinations to. Uh, you know, eliminate certainly pain or any discomfort yeah. and certainly to alleviate the family's concerns as they watch their pet go through that. And I applaud you for that. Yeah. That's, well, that's thank amazing you. and thank you. quite a science. Thank so thank you for doing that. Well, Anything else you want to share with our listeners? You've got such an interesting background, and I'll bet uh, most people didn't even know there are people like you out there. Um, hmm, I, I really can't think of anything off the top of okay. my head. Um, I think, you know, most people, um, it's good to know that, you know, it's not just me, but it's, there's a lot. I'm sure people have favorite veterinarians at particular mm-hmm. practices, um, but there's, there's lots of veterinarians that can provide um, uh-huh. those types of services. And if you think your vet would be offended or, you know, wouldn't want to hear that you want to, you know, opt for comfort care, um, I'm sure that they would and, and they're not going to judge you. Um, so. Yeah. Um, vets are really kind of open to that sort of thing, and there definitely are these services um, in the community um, for That's sure. Great. You just have to do a little searching, yeah. And yes, a lot of times definitely. Local, local veterinary hospitals will know about it. Mm-hmm. If you don't well, that's wonderful. 
Well, yeah. I would very much like to thank our guest, Dr. Beth Marchitelli. Thank you so much for listening to the Palliative Care Chat Podcast. Again, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2019, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificates in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.